Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. I'm Michael Rogg from Top Shelf Craft in Texas. I'm Marion Nulevant here in Portland, Oregon. And today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, deployment, and I'm going to get into that for a second, but I just want to first apologize for anyone. My, my voice is probably a little bit terrible. I'm uh, pretty under the weather. <clears throat> you sound so sad about deployment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, and actually last night I went to take NyQuil, uh, like the NyQuil gel tabs. You guys ever seen those? And I actually, I tried to swallow them, but my throat was so inflamed that they got stuck in my throat. Yeah, I mean, I could feel them like lodged in my throat because it was so inflamed. And so, yeah, so I had to like, I'm like, am I going to die? I'm like, no, wait a minute, I can still breathe. Everything's okay. So I just. Have you seen the doctor? No, not yet. So then I drank a bunch of water just to flush it down. Anyway, enough about my constitution or or lack thereof. Let's talk about. Let's talk about deployments, okay? Let's talk about deployments. So what what does it mean? So deployments basically means we, we work on our project in our local development environment. But at some point, we got to get that stuff from our computer off to the staging and or production server. So how do we do it? So back in the uh, the bad old days, the way that we did it is we fired up an FTP client <laughs> and FTP'd a bunch of the files there. Um, and then kind of away we went. Or, I mean, there were some people that were crazy enough to even edit the files just directly on the server and say, <laughs> yeah, screw I don't, it. I don't know about you. I was uh, editing, you know, cowboy coding on the server. Yep. What was that old expression engine plugin for your Mac menu bar? Mountie. Mounty, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could actually, you know, and that was supposed to be a feature. That you could add your templates in the database, out on the SFTP, just yeah. how convenient. into the wind. <laughs> All right. So my favorite story, one of my favorite stories, was right in the middle of uh, Barack Obama's first presidential campaign. Um, and there was, like, this 45 seconds where somebody's, like, note from their instant messenger that they had copied and pasted accidentally into a template appeared on Barack Obama's <laughs> homepage because they were editing expression engine templates, uh, uh, it, it, cowboy coding them live. Dear God. It's pretty great. Pretty but, great. But luckily, we don't do that anymore. Well, first of all, let's talk about why we don't do that anymore, right? Because... There, there's got to be. A, I think it's self-evident well, if you look at Barack Obama's campaign. Okay, that, that may you know. Let's at least cover it because I there actually have been, even recently, some discussions that I've seen going on in the the craft Slack about you know people talking about how they do it. Um, and uh, one person was mentioning that he still just takes files and FTPs them up to the site. So what's wrong with that? Uh, but go ahead, uh, Patrick. What's wrong with that? Why why shouldn't we just edit our files locally and FTP them up to the website? 
Well, I think the first reason is that you then have the human factor involved every time you're pushing code up to your site. You're relying on knowing which files changed, which files didn't, right. or you're just wasting your own time by you know hoping that transmit or whatever FTP client you're using is going to properly do that synchronization. And maybe it uses, oh, did the file size change? But actually, you just changed a CSS value from 50 to 25. And so it, it's none the wiser on that. That's one reason I think people do it, uh, just because yeah, they, they, they've always done that, but they're used to doing it by hand, and they, they don't know any other way. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's... Well, my, my yeah, kind of yeah. take on that is that it, it's fine until it's not. And, yep. and when it's not, it's usually a disaster <laughs> from yep. the point of view that, holy crap, I just nuked the entire live site and replaced it with something that it should not be. Or holy crap, the server is broken because you know uh, I, I copied things into the wrong directory or whatever. And, well, and, to, and to your point, when it's not fine, it's not immediately apparent yeah. why <laughs> it's not fine. Right. Because you may be two or three or four or twelve steps past the point where you messed something up. Right. I think so, it depends how much you care about the live site, and there are <laughs> legitimately live sites that are just not that important and it's a fine way to do things. It's a little bit simpler and it's, you know, one less moving part. And uh, if you don't care about the live site, it's not a problem. But when you start caring, then it's no longer any good. I think the, the my only comment about that would be that um, if we really don't care about it, why are we working on it? <laughs> you know? And I, I, I think that and Patrick makes a really good point that um, it can be that I don't know if it was Patrick or Michael. Sorry, I'm I'm kind of foggy. But one of you guys made a good point that sometimes the uh, problems cannot be apparent. And one of the reasons why um, doing this manually is not a great idea um, is the human error factor. And why not let computers do what they're good at? Um, which is doing things in a really, really deterministic way, right? So if we have everything working in our local dev and everything is working exactly the way that it should, let a computer replicate that exactly in these other environments because computers are good at that and people generally suck at that, right? Well, right. We, should, we, should make, we should make the distinction that like when we are editing a file via FTP on a live server, that is deployment, right? right. Deployment just means... Whatever process we use to put software onto the computer from which it will be consumed and, and make it ready to be consumed, right? And back in the day, that was me walking into the mainframe room with a floppy disk. And then, you know... They let you in th there? That could be... <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't wow. believe the things they would let you do back in the day. No, but like, you know, or we edit a file on FTP. And I've done that. I've got some like single little page up on my site that needs to like post a picture and a bio for some conference right. that I'm speaking at. Great. No one's looking at it or one person in the world is looking at it. I'll edit that, you know, over FTP, whatever. But I think the important like theme for this conversation is as the software we write gets more complex and then the logistics of running it get more complex and the audiences they're consuming it, um, you know, get higher stakes, we have to up our deployment game 
so that things are more visible and more deterministic and faster and more predictable and easier on the dev experience, right? So we like we scale our deployment in proportion to what we are deploying and to whom we are deploying it. Sure. I mean, and, and, and Marion, to your point, um, you know, there are some sites that, you know, hey, whatever, I'll just edit the thing live. But I, I can tell you that I, I get kind of stressed out by that because... <laughs> You know, if I'm if I'm going in on a, a live site, like I have to be super careful to make sure that I'm everything is really going to work, and that that actually kind of bothers me um, from the point of view of like I I feel much much more comfortable making changes in local dev where no one sees my mistakes and I can make sure that everything works exactly the way that it should before the public sees it. I wasn't um, even aware you made mistakes. Oh my god, <laughs> you have no idea. Breaking news. Yeah, he hides it well. The, the the list of mistakes that I make is, I mean, it's <laughs> monstrous. It's absolutely monstrous. Um, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you make. It matters that you get it right in the end. Um, and if you have some kind of a local development deployment setup, your mistakes are not apparent to anyone, right? It, it really doesn't matter. Um, so. But something that we really have to buy into before we are able to buy into this kind of modern, uh, quote unquote, modern deployment uh, system is we have to buy into Git, right? Or some kind of version control. Yeah, that Uh, was one thing. As as soon as you said mistakes, I feel like these go hand in hand when you see people who are still cowboy coding, pushing their files onto the server manually. More often than not, this is just my gut, but those people also aren't using Git for their local development. No, they can't. Or else they would probably just do a Git pull or have something else hooked in or use Beanstalk, and we'll talk about all those. But yeah, I mean, that, that's even riskier because now you've pushed things live or maybe hopefully just to staging, but you don't have a good undo button other than you know literally hitting undo and sublime 42 times and hoping it's in your history, which is terrifying. Or, or going back to a backup if you have one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> underscore V2, underscore V3. Sure. I mean, I, I remember like I, I still have archived project folders where every time I was going to make a change on a site, I spun up a new folder, <laughs> copied in the files I was going to change, mm. changed them, uploaded them, right? So it's like poor man's version control via, you know, folders. Yeah, but again, that's that's using a human to do something that humans suck at and that computers are really good at. And and yeah, well, I mean, I believe me, I have done that. Than they used to be. Right. Because there have been version control systems where that was absolutely the rational way to proceed. Right. Well, so let's talk about, um, because I think a, any kind of modern deployment really is predicated on using a version control system. So let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. And I agree with you, Patrick, that if anyone is still manually SFTPing files or editing directly on the server, by extension, they're just not using a version control system, right? I mean, there's just no way that, because it's going to screw up your whole version control system if you're using that. Um, so let's just assume that anyone who is still doing that is not using um, any kind of version control system. Um, now, I think for the web these days, really, there's only one version control system we need to talk about, um, and that is Git. Um, back in the day, we used to use SVN or Subversion. Uh, or Mercurial. Yeah, I still have a couple projects in Mercurial repos. CSS. But, but yeah, and there, I mean, yeah. So the point is that there are a number of version control systems out there, but I I think I can pretty safely say that the only one that matters for uh, the web these days is Git. Is everyone 
okay with that, even if you do have some older yeah. projects in? I think so. Even Microsoft yeah. has gone Git. Um, yeah, yeah, they've really won the war, at least for now. So Linus has done yet another awesome thing. So congr- uh, thank you very much to, to Linus. Um <laughs> So why don't we talk about uh, version control systems? Why why the hell would I use one, Michael? Why the hell would I use a version control system? You would use a version control system so that uh, you can keep your code safe, and so that you can uh, see the narrative of your code as it evolves. Uh, and thirdly, if you are collaborating with people, right. uh, you would use a version control system uh, to make your collaborations safer and your communication about code better in your collaborations. Well, let, let's start simple. Let's say that I'm just a freelancer. I'm, I work on my own. Um, Jonathan, like what, what benefits would I get from using uh, Git as a version control system for my code if it's just me? Like why would I, why would I use it? Yeah, so I do a lot more collaboration these days than I used to. Um, but even back in the days when it was essentially just me, I was always using, um, some kind of version control just because I, I probably make more mistakes than anybody on this podcast. So just the ability to be able to roll back if you screw something up or take a look and compare, okay, what changes are part of this commit versus, um, a previous commit that worked or being able to run something like Git bisect. If you're not even sure where an error was introduced, but you know between this point and this point, point A and point B, the error was introduced. So there's a lot of tools that sort of protect you from yourself, essentially. Um, You can go back, you can revert, you can find out where bugs are introduced, you can um, just add sanity to your uh, development process. I think sanity is a great word. So one of the things that I do um, when I am checking in changes, um, and you know, it doesn't really matter what it is, whether it's a plugin or a website or whatever, in my Git client, um, and I use Git Tower just because I like some of the, the Git flow features that it has, but in my Git client, before I uh, go to deploy any of this stuff or, or commit it, I go through the changes and I just look them over uh, to see if they they reflect what I think they should. And that really does bring a whole lot of sanity to my development process because I can say, okay, I think I fixed everything that I need to fix or changed everything I need to change. Let's take a look at what has actually changed. And it gives you a nice graphical depiction of this was the old file. This is the new file. Here are the changes. And I just think it makes things uh, a little less error prone. Um, And and I think you make uh, some really good points. I mean, Patrick, do you have anything to add to uh, I know you have been collaborating with uh, with some people for quite some time, but do you have anything to add to what the benefits of using um, a Git version control system, even if I'm just on my own? Like why? Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, exactly. We've talked about teams well, but it also just lets you as a developer code without fear. If you are in there making changes, you constantly have in the back of your head. If you don't have version control. Oh my gosh! Don't actually don't accidentally delete this file. <laughs> yeah. What if I, you know, I can't change ten files because my undo will only go so far. <laughs> uh, it, it means that you are a very fearful person. Yeah. Uh, one, you know, one experience I had, I was working with a, a great agency in here in Boston, and they hadn't yet got on to Git at that point. Hmm. And one of their developers 
nice, nice person, but he lived in fear every moment that he was developing. Oh and God. one of the first things I did after I set up Git and knew that I wasn't going to, to actually uh, blow this away, that I'd properly done it, um, I blew, it was on a WordPress site, and I just blew away his entire theme folder. And <laughs> I want to see man, his face. <laughs> oh, I felt bad afterwards because I, he was terrified. And I said, yeah. it's okay. Let's go into Tower. Look at that. It's saying, do you really want to commit the deletion of this theme? And then being very careful, you know, right-click and uns- or discard local changes, and it just came back. And mm. that's when it clicked for him that I can make mistakes now. I can do things that I may regret and undo those because of version control. You should have even deleted it and just <laughs> watched his face and then be like, and then just go back. You know, well, just that's revert. what I did. That's what exactly. Oh, okay, what I did. Okay, I okay. The entire it'd okay. be like developing Got or it. deleting craft slash templates and just blowing that thing away. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, great. Yeah. You know, I th- I think <laughs> you're you're our, a terrorist. <laughs> uh, was, uh, I just wanted to show him. You know, I was like, ne- or, who is it? Morpheus, just like you know, showing him what could be, what the real world looks like when you know that. <laughs> but, yeah, but you, you, we talk about freelancer versus teams or collaborations or whatever. Even if you are a freelancer, you're on your own. Like you're still collaborating right. in a sense with your future self, right? Yeah. Um, and so, part of the the nice thing again, I say, on one hand, version control keeps our code safe. It means that we can, you know, track our changes. We can uh, roll back if we make a mistake. But also, we get this narrative about our code. Um, and not only can we see what code changed, we can leave ourselves little breadcrumbs about why we changed a thing. Right. And so when I come back to a piece of code in you know, two days, heavens knows if I remember anything about what I did two days mm-hmm. ago in my code base. Usually I don't. Probably, right? So it's nice pro- to be probably able. blacked out from your computer right. science credentials. Oh, you got your drink. There you go. Um, You know, so I swear, people listening to this podcast will think I'm an alcoholic. I'm not, I promise. You got to drink every time you're on, I'm just saying. But uh, you have to, to deal with computers. Um, I've got Theraflu. That's what I'm drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Um, No, your future self appreciates that narrative um, just as much as some future person on your team appreciates being able to see not just the state of code now and knowing that the state of code is safe, but seeing the evolution of a code base. Right. Uh, you know, it helps for onboarding people onto projects. It helps for onboarding yourself back yeah, to Yeah, I mean, there are certain jobs that if you don't... Archive. Yeah, there are certain jobs if you don't know Git, like you're, you're not getting them. Um, so I, I've got a couple of comments on this, but I want to get Marion in here because... Um, I'd like to hear if she's got anything to say because it sounds like for some projects she, she says, yeah... Screw it, you know. I'm just going to edit the file directly. But you're you're on board with using Git for for projects, right? Oh man, I've been using source code control systems since the 70s. And, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, and yes, absolutely, that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, I guess I have a couple of little tiny projects, you know, the ones where if they get ten hits in a week, that's a busy week, <laughs> and um, they're. You know, they get updated once a year, and I edit the HTML because that's the way they get updated, and then I just, you know, push up those changes. And I use Git, um, and I guess I haven't bothered with any more complicated deployment than that because they all cost just a little bit of either effort or money or both. Right. And so some of them, you know, just just haven't been quite worth it. And then there's the live coding where you go, I am 
pretty sure that this is going to fix this thing that's broken, but only on the live site mm -hmm. or only on the staging server. And rather than going churning through with all those changes to your HT access file, right. I just edit it on the server or I'm by golly, I'm turning dev mode on here now. Yeah. So I keep going on, but I'm, this is not something I need to cycle through the well, part. Thing. Part of knowing how to do it right is giving yourself permission to, you know, break the rules when you feel it's appropriate to do so. So, I mean, yeah, whatever. So, you know, the, the one thing that I want to mention about, um, using Git, and I think, um, it's uh, Michael was kind of touching on this, uh, but the projects that we work on, that's intellectual property, right? The, the website has some value to the client that we're working on it for. And some websites are more valuable than others. I mean, there is some where their entire business is centered around the website. So it is a huge, huge piece of value to them. Um, there can be web apps that that is the... Uh, client's source of income. Um, so having it in version control, it only makes sense because you're, first of all, you're giving the client the ownership of the code. You say, here, here's your Git repo. This is where all of your stuff lives. You don't have to worry about um, the fact that their value, valuable IP is only sitting on your computer or some server uh, out there that, you know, if something horrible happens to it, it's going to be gone. So we're protecting the value of the intellectual property that we're creating for our clients. And I think that that is a, a pretty significant uh, reason to be using Git as well. And in some cases, the client will actually demand that it be on their Git repo. Yeah. I've had more than one occasion where the client actually is the owner of the Git repo. And then as a contractor, I'm added to it because they want to have ownership over that code, even though I'm working on it. Which I think is fine. In fact, I would recommend that in a lot of cases. Yeah, you know, I would too. Because it's yeah. it's their property. It really is. And it yeah. has a huge amount of value to them. So, and, and that gives them inherent ownership of it and then also gives you an, an inherent backup of it from the point of view that you can roll back to, to any particular thing. So... Unless anyone has anything to add, I mean, hopefully we've made the case where you're you're going to want to be using some kind of version control system, right? I mean, it really is just the right thing to do. And then once you get in the habit of doing it, it's not that much more difficult than editing stuff live on the server. I mean, it really just isn't. If if it becomes the way that you work, like I, I, I'll set up even incredibly small, dumb projects, and I still am setting them up in the same way, the same workflow... There's the workflow sure. for you guys out there because that's the way that my mental space works. And it, um, I work better if I'm doing kind of the same process for every site that I'm working on, you know? Yeah. Same. I think, I think the, the way to sum it up, and this is a theme that I think will, will reoccur in this conversation is it's just, it's cost benefit like anything else, right? You, you look at the cost of a tool you look at the cost to yourself of not using a tool right. in terms of lost sleep or lost consistency. You look at the cost to your users of not using a tool, like the consequence of messing up could be bad. And you just weigh all of the, the costs and the consequences. And in the case of source code control, like Git is so low cost that it makes sense to use it you know, because the benefits are so big and the cost is pretty much nothing. Um, 
so it's just a good habit to be into not because we think it's cool but because like the cost benefit just works yeah and, and something i think we should make clear to people is that git is a um it's a tool as well as a uh, a file format i guess is a kind of a simplistic way of, of saying it. And there are many, many services that also that use Git, right? So GitHub is a service that uses uh, Git repos. Uh, Bitbucket is a service that uses Git repos. Um, Beanstalk is another service that uses Git repos. You can set up your own Git server. So like I, on one of my uh, VPSs that I've got sitting out on the web, I have my own Git server. And that's where I check all my changes into, um, so I don't I don't pay for any kind of a, a, a Git uh, hosting service. But I just think it's important to note that Git is independent of all of these services. So we sh- we should do an episode on yeah we will control. we we will. Um, but the the you main point run. is the main point is that Git is independent of GitHub, and that Git can be used with on many different uh, services. You can run Git locally on your own machine, and yes. we haven't talked about that, and it's probably a bad idea because one of the <laughs> wonderful things you get from Git is that you get that nice off-site backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we will do a whole episode on uh, version control and all this stuff, I'm sure. But I think it was important to have this conversation because the whole idea of um, deployments is really predicated on the fact that you're going to be using Git as a place to keep your code. So I thought we should kind of touch on it. So, all right, we got our code in Git. We got it working in our local development environment. We now want to put it on our staging server so our client can get a look at it. How do we do that? So I'll tell you what I do uh, for a lot of my sites. Uh, I spin them up with Forge, as we talked about on the uh, episode with uh, Nevin and, and Hosting. And Forge allows you to set up auto deployments so that when you push to a specific branch, it will uh, run a script. Um, and this so sc- let's back up a step. Before we get to the, the fancier thing, what's the simplest thing we can do, right? Which is, which is like once we graduate from editing with FTP, we've got our stuff in a Git repo. I can go clone that Git repository to my server and anytime I want to update what's on the server, I push files from my computer to my source code repo, right. and then I pull them from my I, I SSH into the server, and I pull those same change sets from the repo onto my server. Yeah, and all you're really okay. doing in that case is you're taking your changes, you're putting them in the repo, and then you're pulling the changes down to your server. Um, and, right. and that's that's what happens with Forge deployments, right? The script that is run by default, just does a git pull. Um, and that's that's pretty much all it does, and it automates it for you. Um, and it's quite a bit easier than having to SSH into the server, CD to the right directory, um, and then do a, a git pull to bring everything down. Um, and now with Craft 3, we also want to be doing a composer install um, so that any changes that were made to the composer.lock file um, are brought into the mix. Um, so that's how I do it with Forge, and I do that for a my own sites, as well as for a whole lot of client sites. But there are other tools out there that will uh, take care of this for you. So Bitbucket is is one of them. Do you want to talk about that one, Michael? Um, yeah. So so when 
we're talking about deploying code, we're sort of talking about two things thematically, usually. One is we want to put the new version of our updated, changed software onto the computer that's going to run it. Right. And then, step two, we may need to do other stuff to uh, further prepare that code to be consumed, right? If right. it's C code, then we run a make command and we compile it. Or if it's PHP code using Composer, then we run a Composer update to pull down the latest copy of our dependencies. Composer maybe install. We've gotta, <clears throat> not, not maybe update. we've got a... <laughs> right, right, sorry. Uh, then you've, you know, maybe we've got some front-end files and we're going to run like a, a webpack or a gulp command uh, to recompile stuff. Maybe. I, you know, I like to compile stuff uh, on my side rather than on the server side, yeah, but whatever. Too. The point is, we first need to shuttle the new software to wherever it needs to be, and then maybe we do something to uh, to prepare it. So yeah, we, we do whatever we need to do to make that environment replicate our local dev environment. So anything that's checked into Git will be taken care of by doing the, the Git pull. Anything is not anything that is not, you know, so for instance, our vendor directory uh, is typically not checked into Git. We need to run Composer to make sure that that is synchronized with what is on our local yeah. computer. So right, so so the service that does it is Bitbucket, yeah. Right, so um, you know the intermediate. You know, we talked about maybe I just SSH into my server and do a Git pull to get my new stuff. Um, we can automate that uh, with with Forge. There's an in between bit uh, that I did for a while, which is uh, a service like Bitbucket or GitHub that hosts repos will let you put hooks, uh, deploy hooks right. onto your repos. And what that means is. Anytime I uh, push a commit into the repository that is hosted there on my GitHub or my Bitbucket, Bitbucket like fires off, uh, triggers some event that I define, and that event can go do a thing. Um, and for a while, uh, what I would use that for is I would just ping uh, a little script on my server that would run the shell script that would you know do the Git pull and the Composer install and, and the gulp or whatever. Um, but now Bitbucket know, so I, does that for you automatically, right? So now, so now uh, Bitbucket has this new pipelines product. Is that what you're talking about? No, the, even the, even the, without the, pipelines um, in Bitbucket, what you can do um, is you can have it. Uh, first of all, you can just use SFTP um, to transfer the files. It doesn't necessarily have to be Git to do it. Um, and then there are also uh, a list of shell commands that it can run um, after the deployment is done. Marion, you you recently yeah, were. Yeah, I want to hear more about that because oh, I on, am, am on, not familiar with that. Take it easy. So, Marion, you you recently were working on a site where that happened, right? No, I think you perhaps have this confused with DeployBot. Oh, in terms of the the scripts that are running. Yeah. You, I thought that we were using the uh, Bitbucket deployments to run that, no? Nope, that's DeployBot. That's my low-end solution. Okay, well, okay. so something that Michael was touching on, and Bitbucket does support it now, um, are deploy pipelines where you can outline the scripts that will get executed um, in the pipeline, and you do it just in a YAML file. And you can tell it to do various things, like you can tell it to run various shell commands and all that kind of good stuff. But I so, think, but so I think like, we're not using that on that site. I'm sorry, you're right. 
So do you mean that, that Bitbucket will, like, you give Bitbucket a key and it SSHs into your server and runs some commands for you? No, what, what it ends up doing <clears throat> is, um, and I don't know exactly what it does under the hood, um, it's probably via Docker, but it spins something up and it does mm. a full git pull. It pulls all of your crap down. Um, and then via the YAML file, it will run whatever scripts you want it to run. And then the result of that is something that you can have it stuff onto your server. Interesting. Interesting. So, so there's like this bucket of, of services, right. right? That handles the step of moving files to a server and running some commands. And Marion, you mentioned deploy bot and beanstalk is another very similar service right. where like your deploy bot or your beanstalk keeps track of your repo um and whenever you change something on your repo and trigger a deployment then those services will pull the new files out of the repo and upload them to a server by sftp or ssh or git or whatever means doesn't matter right um and so, like, uh, Marion, I've used Beanstalk before, uh, and that's kind of deploys files from your Git via FTP to your servers. Right. Um, and so it's using FTP to keep things in sync, but the source of truth is still your, your source code repo. Uh, Marion, you use DeployBot. Is it sort of the same thing? It has a bunch of options, and that's one of the simple options, and that's the one I tend to use. I replaced my old practice of just FTPing everything all up with um, DeployBot about. So I think we gotta, we gotta bring Patrick in on this, but I wanna bring a little bit of, of clarity to it. So what I am doing for deployments with Forge is relatively simplistic from the point of view of, I do all my, all my build stuff, all my build steps happen locally, right? It gets yeah. pushed to the Git repo, and then uh, when it's pushed to the right branch, uh, Forge triggers a script that does a git pull, a composer install, a few other things, and then it shuttles it all down. So there's no interim step um, where things are built, right? It's all coming from the git repo with a few commands that are executed on the server. Now, what a lot of these I, other services- I disagree with you there. I think that that composer install is definitely a build step. Okay. That it's absolutely valid to run it right. on the server, and it's also absolutely valid to check your vendor folder in the same as you might check in your, all your CSS files and not do it on the server. Sure. Um, you, could, you definitely could make that argument either way. But the point that I was trying to make is that for me, there's no interim build step. Um, even though you're saying composer install is a build step, yeah, okay. I mean, arguably it is. But what I meant by there being no interim build step is that what a lot of these other services let you do is once you've uh, triggered the deployment, they actually spin up a totally separate VPS where your code gets brought down to and you can run absolutely anything yeah. on there you want. You can run, uh, you know, NPM, you can do, you can build stuff. You, and you, it sounds like maybe I'm the odd man out here, but that's, this is how I do it. So I don't run the build first and then, check the result of that and to get just because I don't, I perceive it as a mess is messy. I don't know why. I mean, that's, that's a perfectly legitimate way of doing it. I just don't like checking in um, like temporary, you know, minified files or whatever into my Git repository. So usually what I'll do is um, I will have some intermediate steps. So I know deploy bot 
has um, offers the ability to right. um, sort of build your project inside like a Docker container. And then the result of that build is um, deployed. If you're doing it with Forge, you could just set up like a post deployment script essentially that runs your Webpack or your Gulp or whatever. Um, but then you're so doing it on the server. You'd be doing it on the server, right? right? Yeah. And yeah. the reason the reason why I do it the way that I do it is that for the simpler sites, um, it just is fewer moving parts and fewer things that can go wrong. And I like the idea that if I do, if you know, if disaster strikes, all I need to do to have the complete site on a new server is do a git pull, and it's all there, right? I mean, nothing needs to be set up. But I agree that um, both strategies are definitely appropriate. The The only point I was trying to make is that what a lot of these services let you do is have that interim step where you get a VPS spun up mm -hmm. and you can do whatever build steps you want to, to generate your stuff. And then the result of those build steps is what ends up getting deployed. And, and Patrick, you're a, a big fan of Buddy.Works and that is the way that you work with, with them as well, right? Yeah. Um yeah, they, they have a number of ways to run what they call pipelines, where uh, they can connect to an external Git repository. It could be on GitHub, Bitbucket. It could be if you're doing a D, you know, DIY, DIY, DIY uh, Git server. They also allow you to host your code directly with them if you'd like, if you want to put all your eggs in one basket. And then set up pipelines. So depending on you know, if you want to log into the service and hit a button, you can say, okay, I want to deploy to production, but I don't want to go out until I actually click that button. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also tell it, you know, deploy to staging, or you know, I'm looking at one that I have right now, you know, on every single commit on a certain branch, and maybe there's a condition um, that it has to meet. The reason I like it, we all know, Andrew, is I like a nice, clean GUI um, all day. I, I don't want to be messing with scripts, and I'd rather be able to set something like this up. No, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's more uh, from a conceptual point of view. It's where do you want your build step done? And when does it matter that there's an interim place where that build step is done? And I, I've worked on some projects that 100% you need an interim server that is building stuff just by the nature mm -hmm. of those projects. Um, I've also worked on some other projects that, at least to me, it just seems ridiculously overkill uh, to do that. It just seems silly. Um, but it is a, a really neat way of working and all of these tools allow you to do that. Um, they allow you to have a, uh, a VPS that gets spun up and your build stuff is run there and then you deploy just the results of that. Now it lets you do some complex things you can't do otherwise, but it also does add some time and complexity to your deployment process. So it's really a matter of, am I benefiting from this? And for mm -hmm. some projects, I think the answer is hundred percent. Yes. And for other projects, I think it's arguable. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say one thing to note: you know, it's not always roses. I'm not going to name names, but it, it does mean that there is one more system in place that um, is involved when it comes to deploying your code. <laughs> Deploy <my. laughs> so that, yeah, yep. Um, and so I would say, uh, when you're looking at any sort of tool out there for, you know, typically it's called continuous integration. Ask around, ask people that you work with. Um, don't trust their status pages because they may not actually tell the full story of their true downtime. <laughs> That's mm. all I'm going to say. Yeah, no, no, it's accurate. I mean, and it, it may be just paranoia on my part, but I, I don't use these services that require uh, that interim step when I don't think it's needed. 
because I don't want to add the complexity to the project unless I think it's going to benefit from it. However, I do get the idea, and I mentioned it earlier, that um, if we're going to assume that this is just how I work and this is a part of every project that I build, I mean, I get that mentality too, right? It makes sense. Like uh, every project that I do, I'm going to build it, you know, the I'm going to work on it locally. It's going to be hosted in Git. I'm going to use buddy.works to do my deployments. And then no matter how big or how small the project is, when I approach it, I know how it works. I don't have to figure it out and realize that I did this thing a little bit differently on, on this particular project. Yeah. So let's talk about two, can I, can I mention two trade-offs real quick? Yeah. Because we've sort of, uh, again, themes emerging. Um, so the first theme is, do I want to run my build steps or most of my build steps uh, on my end, like on my computer before I put things into the system that's going to deploy them? Or do I run a, run those build steps on the server? And I think the big advantage um, to running the build steps out on the production server, um, and by production server, I mean not my computer. Could be staging or, or testing or whatever, but it's some production server. Uh, is that I'm, you know, to to Jonathan's point, I'm not committing those dirty minified files that are just sort of temporary. Like I don't really want those cluttering up my my repo, and so I keep my 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 source of truth nice and clean. If I let all of that messy build stuff happen in production. But the downside of that, um, from where I sit, um, at least historically, has been, can I really trust those things to happen consistently out on production? For the longest time, um, like those tools, just I didn't trust them enough. And so I would run all my uh, front-end build, and I would commit my vendor directory. And I had some really big messy repos that I didn't like mm -hmm. to look at, but I knew that the only step to deploying them was that git pull from, right. from the server, right? That, and so, that, that's, so a, that's, that's a great example. Let me, I just want to comment on that real quick, Michael. So yeah. scenario, there's a, uh, there's an issue with an important client site and they just, you know, posted something on social media and the site is not working, right? Yeah. You want to, you want to get the fix out there ASAP. Your whole pipeline depends on, I'm just going to pick one, DeployBot, right, for the deployment to go out. Well, DeployBot is having an outage today. What are you going to tell your client? You're going to tell well, them. we got to pick on DeployBot. <laughs> well, I'm, just, so, I'm just picking one, but what are you going to tell your client, right? Yeah. So yeah. the, the more layers of complexity, like even uptime aside, um, the more layers of complexity that you add to the build process, the more likely it is that you're going to have a situation where something crazy is just going to go wrong. Right. So I, I won't mention any names here, but I, I had the most frustrating experience that I think I've ever had trying to deploy a website a couple of months ago. This was a very tiny change. It was something ridiculous. Like I was changing the font size um, on a headline or something like that in the CSS. That was literally it. Mm. Like if I had just thrown up my hands and decided to SSH into the server and just like <laughs> cowboy code, it would have taken me, two seconds and it would have been fine. But yeah. I had this elaborate build process for this site. And part of that was because the site is um, um, an e-commerce site. There's usually a lot of things going on there. So the, the build process is um, what's called an atomic deployment. So essentially, if you have a, um, a situation where you have a site like that, where there can be no downtime, like you'll see you run a craft update, you're deploying hundreds of files, like that's going to take your site down. Well, what if somebody's like, 
click the submit button after they put the credit card information in. You don't want to have any downtime. So it necessitated um, a little bit more complicated build process on it. So what was happening was like, I would try to deploy my code. It would go through the build process and like some weird, obscure problem with NPM mm. prevented it from downloading a package mm. properly. I've this been there. throws <laughs> the entire thing out of whack. And like, if there's any error, it will not deploy. Right. So um, the more complicated that you make these things, the more likelihood you're going to be pulling your hair out one day when all you want to do is change the size of a headline. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the second point that I wanted us to get to, which is, okay, so we've decided that we really want the build process to happen in production so that our, our source of truth repo can stay nice and tidy. Well, now we have uh, this problem of as long as we are running build in production, um, two things can happen. One is guaranteed to happen, and the other might happen. Right? One is uh, we might have something go wrong, and the build just doesn't complete. Right? And so now the, the build is just sitting there in an unusable state. And then the thing that always happens, no matter what, is this process is going to take some time. And while it is you know, in the in-between states, um, it may or may not be usable. Um, you know, maybe it causes a glitch on the front end that, that a client sees. And so f out of this problem, then comes this second layer of you know, functionality that these deployment services offer, which is, okay, so you want me to take care of your build in production, but you want to have no downtime and you want to verify that it happens correctly. Okay, I'll go do the build is somewhere else, like right. Andrew was talking about, some some middle purgatory spot, right? And then once the build is done, then I'll swap it in under your um, your current site. And so this could happen in a, a containerized way, like maybe your build service spins up a Docker container and runs it, builds that container, builds your project, and then just swaps the new container in for the old one once it's done and tested. Um, uh, Laravel Envoyer right. is a popular project among uh, PHP developers, which uh, is still running it on your production server. But when you do a deployment, it goes and creates a directory separate from your current web route, builds the project there, runs your composer updates, runs your, your front end gulp stuff, runs your tests, your PHP unit, your whatever, you know, make sure that it's nice and tidy. Um, and then just symlinks your web root into that new folder. And so the only thing that has to happen, you know, for it to actually change uh, to that new deployment is a symlink changes, right? So that's instantaneous. And usually, no it usually keeps there. also a releases directory. So right. let's say you have a successful deployment, you get that symlink to your current directory. It's not just going to trash the previous iteration of your app. Um, because if you deploy and something goes wrong, you can easily roll back to the previous state in like one second. All you're right. doing is symlinking back to the previous release. And that's, right. that's crucially, you don't have to pull the old change set, rebuild the old right. version, wait for that to happen. Right. right? It just change switches the symlink. It's instantaneous. Or in the case of you know a, com a containerized version of this, just you know points to the old Docker container, you know, swaps in the old Docker container. So like that's, that is where we come to this second layer of functionality is okay. 
we shuttled our new code to the new environment, but we want to make sure that the new environment gets built and tested properly before that final switch to where it's going to make a difference to to the user. And that's, you know, yeah. that's why we have that, stuff like Envoyer or DeployBot adding these extra layers of build functionality. Yeah, and it, that's, it's that's so that what we can keep our code clean, but still trust the tools. Yeah, that's what at atomic deployment is. Yeah. And Envoyer... Um, buddy.works, DeployBot, DeployHQ, um, they will all do this for you, where you can yeah. do an, an atomic deployment and it will be done in a separate directory. It's uh, It gets symlinked in when it's all done and all built. The, the only difference between them is, as Michael mentioned, Envoyer does it on your actual server and some of these other services, they'll do the build step, or sorry, Envoyer will do the build steps on your actual server some of these other services will do the build steps in a uh, containerized VPS that gets spun up temporarily as you're deploying it. And that is one of the um, problems with the way that I do my deployments with Forge. So let's say I, I push a change where I've updated to a new uh, version of Craft CMS, right? My uh, deployment script will pull everything down from Git, and then it will run Composer install on the server. During that brief window, when Composer is pulling down the new packages for the updates, it certainly is possible that there'll be, uh, you know, a couple of users will see something that's wrong. Now, on my my own sites in particular, this really isn't a problem um, right. because I'm using a, a fast. C well, first of all, they don't they're not mission critical, really. Um, but then I'm also using a static cache on them, so that while all this process is going on. What is still getting served um, is the static cache version of the site. So you're actually never going to see that um, issue happen here. But I still do think that um, atomic deployments for a project of any significance, uh, especially e-commerce projects, is, is pretty important. I mean, Jonathan, you've worked on a couple of those. Do you have some comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I think e-commerce is the clear, obvious use case for atomic deployments. But even... Even if you just have a site that um, you know it it has a lot of traffic all the time, or you know your client mm -hmm. would be upset if they you know take a look at it one day and they see some weird twig runtime error, you know instead of because you, know, you know they're going to load it at just the wrong second. Yeah, Mur Murphy's law <laughs> says that it will happen, especially if they're really paranoid about seeing it. It right. will happen one day. Right. So I mean, atomic deployments. It's it sounds like. Maybe it sounds really confusing if there's somebody listening. They're like, what the sim link, the directory to the what What the crap are these people talking about? It's really not not that much more work to set that up. And you do get the benefit of zero downtime. The only case where this this won't be, this it won't happen that way is let's say you run a really huge craft update or something. You deploy it. You're going to have that atomic deployment, but you're still going to have the problem of the database. Um, right. Right. migrations or whatever have to run. And so you're just going to have to immediately be on that, you know, be at the control yep. panel ready to run those updates. But other than that, um, it's, it's, it's pretty good in terms of uh, having no downtime at all during a deployment. All, all yeah. atomic deployments are is a manual version of what Michael used to do. Duplicate the folder, <laughs> put whatever changes you want in it and then rename it. I mean, that's really all it's doing. It's, it's making, duplicate versions of your project and then it's it's pointing the web server at the new one is all it's yeah, doing. It's a wrong deployment. Yeah, so, well, but but like you're using the static cache 
like is not strictly speaking an atomic deployment, but it's thematically the same because you have the different states of your software, right? Right, and so you want to make sure that the switch off between the old state and the new state as perceived by the world right. is as seamless as possible, right? And so whatever the, that final step is, like you don't want the world to be affected by anything that you're doing to deploy or build your software or prepare the environment to run your software, right? You just want to save that final step, whatever it is that, that points the world to the new state of your software, you want that to be seamless. And so if that is changing a symlink uh, to a new web route, if that's swapping in a new Docker container, if that's busting your fast CGI cache, right. whatever it is, Same thing. right? It's like before that instantaneous step, the world was seeing the old state of my software. And after that step, the world is seeing the new state of my software. That's yeah, all it is. Right. And, that, and that's why I said that for uh, my sites that are static cached, it makes no difference because... Yeah, Composer can be updating stuff all at once on the back end, but the files that are being served up to people are not coming, they're not even running PHP. It's just returning the static cache version of the site, and it's not until the that cache is busted as part of the deployment process, that which is after everything's sure. been built, that it matters. But Patrick, I know you're a big fan of Buddy. I want to hear about how Buddy.Works has changed your life. <laughs> well, I first want to say that for anyone who's hearing all this about atomic deployments and feels like it sounds familiar, this has been around for a while. Uh, it used to be called oh, yeah. Capistrano in Ruby on Rails world and just Ruby gems. You didn't have to be doing a Rails project. Uh, it, so, I mean, it's been around for probably years at this point. This concept of pushing it up there, having a sim linking yeah. and swapping it you know, in a millisecond. Don't show it I mean, to I've, people I've, until I've, it's I've ready. That's all it is. Where we build software on mainframes, like two different mainframes, and then literally like move the network cable from one mainframe <laughs> to the next, right? And and that is the, it's the same thing, right? I've got the old state. I've got the new state. What is the like most seamless way I can point the world to the new state? Well, I just unplug the old server and plug in the new one. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely not a new concept. No, but Patrick, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. How, how has Buddy yeah. changed your life, my man? Oh, I mean, I mean, changed my life. It's a nice GUI, and it's very comforting to me in a time of need. Uh, no, I mean, it. Uh, <laughs> it. You know, at first, it, I, I got in slowly. I started to. I, I like the fact that it would host Git by itself rather than having to rely on Bitbucket or GitHub. I could put all of my eggs in one basket, even though I still scared myself by doing that. Hmm. Um. You know, it would let me do my old school SFTP transfer if that's all I wanted to do. I don't have to do atomic deployments. Um, well, but it, then it can it, do it, atomic me... deployments via SFTP too, can it? I know Say that again? It yeah. can do atomic deployments via SFTP too, though, right? Exactly. You yeah. can choose exactly uh, yeah. what um, method, what protocol you want to use to do that transportation just of getting the files there. Um, and now I've just gotten deeper. It has its own file system, which is basically a Docker setup that persists between each deploy. So you can just run Composer install there, do all of your stuff there and make sure it doesn't break. And if it does, it happens in this Docker install far away from your production app. Uh, move it over, do your you know deploy cache, symlink, magic. Uh, they now have a new feature, um, which I really want to see Craft get added to their list of kind of prefab setups. It's called sandboxes. And the idea mm. here is that 
rather than having to spin up a staging site and go through the rigmarole of going into Forge, setting up staging.mysite.com, creating a database, seeding the database, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you have these recipes built into Buddy. And again, I haven't gotten deep into this, but you have these recipes of what it looks like to set up a WordPress file and it's wpconfig. What it looks like to set up Drupal 8 and it's .env file. Um, you could very easily do your own craft one, and I love to see craft eventually be. Now, I know, I know. Brad Bell was looking into this because I remember discussing it with him. But uh, wasn't one of the issues that um, the some of the sandbox stuff is still in beta and is still kind of being developed? It is in beta, but at the same time, they're really just build commands. You just have a recipe of uh, you know, do composer install, do npm install. Um, yeah, but there's you know, some. There's I don't anything. remember what it was, but there's some part of it that that wasn't. Uh, that kind of wasn't finished. Could be. It, yeah. it is in beta, but it looks really like a dream to be able to have a staging site that has just a little bit of config and you don't need to go and, and do a whole lot. I mean, th- there are questions there as to um, how do I get all my user uploads there? Because if a client loads up their staging site and the homepage doesn't have a graphic on it, they're going to say, hey, this looks broken. Right. Uh, so what does that look like? You're going to have a, a script then to sync over your uploads and assets from prod down to staging. Uh, they do allow you to include a, a SQL dump with every uh, commit, and that will then see the database. But I have mixed feelings about putting SQL dumps in uh, my Git repo. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty strong <laughs> feelings against it. That yeah. seems like a bad, bad idea. Um, but it's really promising. Just the idea of being able to programmatically spin up staging sites based on recipes. So I, I think the interesting thing here is that we we've got five different people here. And we all have um, somewhat different approaches in terms of how we are doing this stuff. But everything that we're doing, we're doing it really just to make ourselves look good in a way, right? I mean, we've got a local dev environment where we can make all our mistakes there and make sure that everything is right. I guess make ourselves look good is probably not the right phrasing. What I meant was always presenting our, our best face to the public, right? So we do our development in local dev. We push our code to a source code control system, uh, Git in this case, um, so that we can revert back if there are mistakes, you know, uh, check things out, et cetera, et cetera. And we have a tool to do the deployment so that the visitor who is visiting the site is never the wiser when we're swapping in our new (laughs) code and never sees, you know, any errors or, uh, you know, half, half baked deployments as they go out there. Talk about our best face. I want to say, present our least broken software. <laughs> okay. <public. laughs> okay. But I mean, I guess what I'm just trying to make the point is that there are lots of different ways to do it, but we're really trying to accomplish the same thing, which is to write, um, to create code that is as error-free as possible and to make it seamlessly appear almost magically to the public on the uh, their websites uh, when they're visiting them. Marion, do you have any kind of comments on this whole thing? Yeah, I think that the atomic deployments open up a whole world of possibilities because we we talked about how you want to have a deployment system so that the client doesn't see your broken buggy stuff. Yeah. And that's true, but we also really don't want to see the client watching the whatever it looks like the build is in process <laughs> thing. And 
And we no longer so, have down for maintenance signs on our website. Right, right, not so much of a down for maintenance <laughs> sign or not so long of that. Yeah. And one way of avoiding that is to make the build process on the on the uh, server very fast by checking everything into Git, which I it, it absolutely offends me too to be, <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be a source code control system and that is object code and it does not belong in the repo. And, and uh, you know, I've just, learn to live with it. Marion, <laughs> you got to take an opinion on this. You can't be so wishy-washy. Marion is my favorite Marion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mild-mannered. <laughs> so, so I I am I am 100% there with running the build on the server given that, you know, it doesn't you don't make people wait for it. And mm. so one way or another an atomic deployment and I, you know, I used to F FTP things up into and then rename directories is how right. I used to do it. So yep. it's same thing. It, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. An atomic deployment one, one way or another. But if you have an automated build step and if you have an atomic deployment, then that just kind of opens the floodgates to run all kinds of build stuff because right. it, you, know, you just add it in, you add new testing and Whatever, and there's this this whole world, and, and I really hope that they do manage to make that more available for us with Craft Three, so that we can all be, you know, properly unit testing all of our everything's. And right. I think they will. Yeah, I think so and too. And then you can have builds that take, you know, half an hour, an hour, or whatever, and and are very powerful. So uh, once you once you decide that you're giving up on on just not changing very many things and FTPing stuff up quickly, then you have that build step. Once you've bought into the build step, then you can just throw all kinds of stuff so, in there. So, Marion, your your deployment tool of choice currently is? Well, I'm not using the atomic deployment, but I, obviously this is I'm – <laughs> I'm running behind, but I need to. I need to do it. I've been but using. Have we made a convert out of you? Hold on, well, hold no, on. I was a convert before. I just hadn't got around to it. Yeah. I, it was like DeployBot, such an improvement over over you know FTPing things up and changing the name of the directory. And um, you know, I can see the writing on the wall that that every three years or so you gotta you gotta move stuff forward. Right. So DeployBot is is currently your tool of choice. Deployment three years ago was my tool of choice, and I haven't reevaluated. No, no, no. Deploy bot, the service. Deploy bot, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Three three years ago, I I decided yeah. I this is going to be my upgrade in my life, and it was a wonderful choice. Yeah. And I maybe need a new one too. But this month, I've started using Git Tower instead of just the command line. So nice. You've got to give me time. Yeah, and I, I I do the same thing. Like I know Git via the command line, but. I enjoy some of the benefits that the Git, Git Tower gives me for sure. So, yeah, uh, Jonathan, how about you? Do you have any comments on all this stuff? And what is your deployment tool of choice? Well, I uh, I believe in not uh, publicly trashing companies on this podcast. So, <laughs> I'm, I'll, all I will tell you, you're going to hurt our sponsorship. <laughs> all I will tell you is I will be checking out Buddy. Um, nice. To get with Patrick on this. Uh, my, I will tell you my current process is um, running the build inside of a Docker container um, and sending it up with an atomic deployment. However, um, the uh, 
company that I've been using to do this for a while has let me down one too many times. So I'm looking for a way to replicate that same strategy on maybe a little bit more reliable. <laughs> I got a bad cough from being sick. I'm sorry. Oh, oh that's okay. That's all right. I hope you feel better. Thank you. So Michael, how about you? What is, uh, do you have any comments you want to kind of wrap this up and put everything in a big ribbon and tie it around the gift box and then tell yeah. us what your deployment tool of choice is? Yeah, so I think, I mean, you got to look at your process in terms of um, the experience of your customers and your experience as a dev, right? And weigh everything uh, based on, you know, you know, things matter, not because we say they do, but because uh, the consequences that matter to your clients and, and to your dev experience. And right. so, um, you know, if if that 10 seconds of downtime because your deployment wasn't atomic is fine because your audience is two people and they're asleep right now, uh, fine, right? But the more complex your stuff gets, the more you really want that all to be um, out of your hands and out of your head. Um, and so you just got to scale your, your deployment strategy with the complexity of your project and with the sanity that, that you're trying to get from it. I mean, um, all of this stuff you can do with with a shell script, right? So many of my deployments just run on Forge, and then there's a, a shell script that does right. a bunch of other stuff. I even have like some some like poor man's Envoyer running, you know, via Forge, where um, you know I have usurped Forge's like default boilerplate d uh, script completely, and I pull stuff into a subfolder and I name it based on the commit hash. And I run the build steps, and then I symlink the, the whatever, whatever. Like you can do all of this yourself without Absolutely. a third party. Yeah. Like just get good at shell scripting, and you know you can even you know write yourself a little PHP file that does nothing but run your shell script, and just point your GitHub deploy hook to your little PHP file and just call it, and all of your stuff runs right. And I actually encourage people to do that. Like play around with with building this stuff in some simple form yourself so that you sort of can understand conceptually what all the different steps are and what the layers of functionality you know that these services are providing to you what their value really is versus the cost trade-off um so what is your deployment tool is, is, is forge, forge and yeah. shell scripting um i'm really excited um and i i i don't know if this is the buddy people um, but I think Conveyor uh, is a product that that has been floating around in murmurs around like the Twitters and the Craft Slack, um, which is going to be a new. That's from Wildbit, uh, the people that uh, did from, from Wildbit, that right. did Bitbucket um, originally, I believe. Which which looks like it, like you know, and it's it's all in whispers, but it looks like it might be a a deployment collaboration tool set, um, you know, specifically geared at least at first towards craft developers. So. That piqued my interest. I'm really interested uh, after everything Patrick has has talked about to check out Buddy, but like right now, it's it's Forge and shell scripts, and that works just fine for me. Patrick, you got anything you uh, want to say to kind of tie this all together and tell us what your deployment tool of choice is? Uh, yeah, I mean my my tool of choice is Buddy, as anyone on Craft Slack knows. Um, you get a kickback from them? What's that? You get a kickback? Anything? <laughs> no, no. And actually, I, yeah, I ought to. I don't even pay for it. I'm running my own. Um, I'm grandfathered in on their old system where you could run your own 
version on your own VPS, which is nifty. Yep. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess if anyone's listening to this and they've shied away so far from, you know, doing a, a deployment that is beyond, you know, that doesn't involve human hands moving files, um, you know, give it a try. There's no right or wrong system out there, but find what you're comfortable with. Some people, you know, a lot of folks in Expression Engine and Craft got started with Beanstalk and then moved mm-hmm. up to DeployBot are now looking at either, you know, going in doing shell scripts or using Buddy. Um, there's, yeah, other tools coming out, but it, it really, it'll save you time over the course of a year, you know, and if it even saves you one hour, um, the cost of these are usually pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, and they'll, they'll, they'll save you time, make your de- deployments more dependable. So for myself, um, I'm kind of in Michael's camp, which is kind of scary, <laughs> where uh, a lot of the, the projects that I do are Forge with uh, my own deploy scripts, but that's because I'm pretty comfortable doing that shell script thing. The um, There are probably a lot of people listening. They're, they're like, I just want to deploy my damn website, you know, in the same way that I conceptually understand how my car engine works, but all I want to do is get in and go to the store, you know? Um, and I think for people like that, some of these services are fantastic. I've worked on client sites that have used Beanstalk, um, Bitbucket, <coughs> excuse me, um, Deploy HQ, uh, DeployBot, and, and Buddy.Works. Out of all of them, I think Buddy.Works has been by far the most impressive, um, at least from my point of view. And for projects of any significance, that is uh, what I am using. Uh, for my own personal projects, I just use uh, the Forge deployments with, with scripts, you know. Um, but I, I think this has been a, a pretty good talk. I hope that we haven't thrown too much jargon at people and they kind of get the idea that all we're really trying to do is allow us to code without fear and show our best face to our clients and to our customers by having a workflow, yes, it's a workflow, folks, set up that will deterministically deploy this stuff for us. You know? yeah. Well, and like, like we said in our other uh, workflow podcast, like you don't have to do all of this stuff all at once, you know, adopt all these new tools in one go. Like, just every few months, try one new thing. Make yeah. Baby steps. That's right. Just, you know, try one new thing, make one improvement to your process, Get comfy, then do the next thing, and uh, and hopefully we've we've piqued some people's interests in some of the options out there. Yeah, and we're not doing any of this stuff to you know use the the coolest latest thing. I mean, we're really doing this because it saves us time in the end and allows us to do better quality work. And yes, there is a little bit of a learning curve to get up and working on these things, but all of these tools have done a pretty good job at making it uh, pretty pretty easy to get up and running. Well, and I, sleep easier. And sleep easier, yeah. Oh, yeah, especially after you take the NyQuil. Uh, so, yeah, good, good luck with that. <laughs> hey, I hope you feel better. Yeah, me too. So that uh, that wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And please, if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. It's even built into the the iOS app that you can give it a star rating or leave a review. It actually really does help. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at devmode. Uh, sorry, at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Uh, leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. 
I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Jonathan Melville. I'm Michael Rogg. I'm Marianne Millivant. Bye-bye. 